to Drummers Only Radio. Drummers Only is the UK's leading drum shop with store locations in Glasgow and Leeds. Our podcasts are full of interviews, gear reviews, and much more from the unique perspective of a drum shop. The show is hosted by two pasty Scottish dudes who talk real fast. Whoa, slow down there, Braveheart. So here's Chris, the Glasgow shop manager, and Adam, the social media manager. Be sure to like, subscribe, and let's do this. Hello, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls. How are you? Thank you for tuning in, whether it's YouTube or Spotify or wherever you find your entertainment these days. This is Drummers Only Radio, and we're here with the, the doodliest of dudes, the YouTube's and amazing drumming sensation, Harry Myrie, I Dude. believe is how you say it. Is that right? Yeah, that's the best it's ever been said. Thank you, man. Oh, I appreciate that. How are you? I'm thriving. This is the earliest I've ever been awake, as I was telling you a second ago. So <laughs> who knows where we'll go in this conversation. It's such a twilight hour. It's 1130 a.m. in America right now, dude. Well, it's 530 p.m. in the UK. It's raining, but we're inside, so it's sunshine and rainbows. <laughs> when's the last time you saw the sun over there dude yesterday it was a decent day yesterday till about 4 p.m and then it darkened out a bit but yesterday was quite nice it's just cold man it's just cold and gray and wet okay in my, the um, story we tell ourselves over here is that it's just like perpetually cloudy over there and this is why um, you guys have the personality that you have yeah when we get about the week of summer that we get every two years <laughs> up here um yeah it's, it's it's it can get bleak we had snow like two weeks ago man the last time i was in your country was in august of 2018 really and we had these long drives between cities and something like chemically happened in my brain seeing the <laughs> countryside where like probably you know where they filmed like monty python and the holy grail and all this like i was very very inspired by that landscape but i uh, and so i thought like it would be beautiful to be around this all the time dude well it, it is but the problem is that you know, if you're in the rat race in any way, shape, or form, you don't see it very often. And, and like we're in Glasgow, which is the biggest city in Scotland, mm -hmm. and sort of thirty minutes in any direction is beautiful sun, a uh, beautiful scenery, just gorgeous. But you're busy doing stuff, huh? You know, and so you don't take the time to go and see it as much as one should. Um, mm -hmm. But whenever sort of fellow Americans or Canadians or people come across, they're like, your country's amazing. And it, it really is amazing, especially if you go further up north in Scotland. It's really spectacular. Right on. Well, even the kids at the show, man, I like my memories of the gig. I'll have to look up where we played. Um, mm -hmm. I Would you recognize it if I dug it out of my yeah, camera? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. yeah, yeah like, All right. I'll do this before the conversation is over. But I remember the two things I'll never forget, man, are number one, the sound man. Um, <laughs> I was like, I wish we could take this guy everywhere, dude. It's like, because culturally, I don't know, like the culture of like where you come from and who you are, this affects how you do like a sound check. Do you know what I'm saying? That yeah. guy was hilarious and very pragmatic, very to the point, but like lighthearted all at the same time. And But also I remember the kids that came out like really give a shit, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, the, 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 especially in Scotland, there's a countless bands come through Glasgow and tell you it's the best, it's the best city to play in the world. Yeah. You know, and I think it's just Glasgow's great at laughing at itself. It just That's doesn't it. take it. It doesn't take itself way too seriously, and you will be humbled real, real quick in Glasgow. You know, if you if you're they call it like tall poppy syndrome, where if the, if the poppies get too high, they just cut the heads off them. You know, it's it's kind of like that. You know, just like know your station, 
know where you are and you'll be fine. Dude, I think that's what I was feeling. And it made me want to lean into that and like spend more time there. By the way, the name of the venue was uh, Broadcast. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. On Socky Hill Street. Yeah, I know that venue. Yeah. yeah, it's, it's a small, small room, dingy, downstairs. Dude, it must have been 120 people. It was like amazing. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like, Rammed, yeah. So if you're listening to this um, and you're unfamiliar with Harry, you need to pull yourself from out the rock under which you lie because he's all over the internet but you you've played with um some some nashville artists low cash hardy claire bowen who was who's sort of widely famous for the nashville tv show and actually came through glasgow when the the cast did the the, the tour so she was here um you're a graduate of berkeley school of music um did berkeley prep you for nashville man all these Berkeley dudes that are in Nashville now, I never knew them in Boston. I only they like come out of the woodwork here all these years later. And so I, there must be some connection between that school and what happens in Nashville in that you're constantly digesting a bunch of music the whole time you're there and um, mm. you're like spinning a lot of plates all at the same time. And Nashville is very side manny in that way. I don't know any drummers here who aren't working for twelve artists at the same time <laughs> right. until they get like the career gig, you know? Yeah. And, and Berkeley was that way. Everybody was in everybody else's band and you're hearing a lot of different stuff and learning music all the time and trying to keep a lot of that stuff in your head. So uh, in that sense, um, the way you kind of bubble up with your peers, I, I think there's a connection to Nashville there, but I don't remember the word Nashville being said by any mm. of the profs or any of the like academic infrastructure there. You know what I'm mm. saying? Like music in academia is like so theoretical, even at Berkeley that... I've in hindsight, I've kind of been thinking that you have to you have to know what you want out of that. You have to you have to have a vision for what you want when you get out of college and then you can tailor what you're learning to that. But if you just go in there and say, yeah, turn me into a musician, you're just going to learn like a bunch of textbook information and then go work at Dunkin Donuts, you know? <laughs> yeah, I, I, I mean, I've done the music college thing and the number of especially where I went to school, there was a lot of classical musicians and if you don't have a pathway already carved out or you don't think like that, that's exactly what's going to happen to these people. And I don't think music schools are very vocational. They don't teach you how to go out and get gigs and keep gigs. And, and, and in some respects, they don't necessarily teach you to work with other people. I think it's really, it depends on the course you do. But it's like the classical course, it's all like you study your principal instrument and then they put you in an orchestra, but they don't teach you about hustling and about life i know man it's like i guess that just happens between classes right mm. um and I, I can recognize that a little more now than i did at the time but i i do know i knew from a young age that when i wanted to go there the dudes i wanted to study with were the guys who like had lives that mm. i wanted um to live i mean uh just off the top of my head rod morgenstein he was in the band winger mm -hmm. and mike man yes yes he was in the drags too a founding member of the dixie drags and and uh mike mangini was there too mm. He left when he started working on Dream Theater. But it, mm -hmm. so at that time that I wanted to study with him, he was like, we kind of knew him as Steve Vai's drummer. Mm -hmm. uh, and those dudes, I thought, they sure, they know what it's like to, uh, I, they, they know what it like smells like inside a tour bus or whatever. <laughs> the answer is it smells very unpleasant. By <laughs> the way. Uh, I, you know what I mean? So I just wanted to be around them and absorb, and like, I could, the, the curriculum did not provide for what I wanted to know. But when mm -hmm. you sit around with them before class or after class, you can ask them anything you want. 
um, that like so much of the value of going to a place like that comes out of those moments. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, it's funny when the the best lessons you get are in the pub. Dude, there it is. Exactly. You know, it's not about how quickly or cleanly you play a paradiddle. It's about how you're not a dick on the tour bus. Yeah. Amen. I just wish that sometimes colleges would 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 do that for people. They would they would let people know that there's some sort of class where you can go and take. I just hear these guys tell stories about how to get by. Mm. You know? Yeah. Uh, dude, I, yeah, this is my gripe with music school too. It's like a combination of the, you know, like the school is a little bit responsible for this. And then what we ask for is also a little bit responsible too. But I recognize what you're saying about going to a school full of classical musicians where you get super honed at reading sheet music or something. And then you're like, now what? Um, yeah. And I went briefly, I went to a school like that and had a similar experience. And in fact, I, um, that's the worst relationship I ever had with music is when I, you know, when I yeah. went into a, a school like that. So I feel lucky. The other thing that makes me feel lucky about college is that maybe you didn't mean for me to talk this much about college, but um, halfway through when I like, so I did college in two year and a half spurts and okay. late in the, in the first year and a half, I had a a band and we, our music was circulating on MySpace, which I realized like wow. super dates yeah. us. And we had a song that started to do pretty well. And we, so we could fly out on the weekends and go play little shows at places like broadcast. Mm-hmm. And we're like, I don't think a hun- more than 120 kids were ever coming to see us at that time. But we mm-hmm. like, that was like rock stardom to us. And <laughs> so when we signed our record deal, like a year and a half into me going to college, I basically had to choose, am I going to stay in, uh, college and let that opportunity pass or am I going to like travel the world for the first time with my friends and like go after this thing that I thought I've wanted to do my mm. whole life so I did ask guys like Rod and they're like dude college is going to be here if you ever need to come back to this place you can we're not going anywhere so yeah go yeah take the bird in the fist man so I left I dropped out of college and got absolutely whooped by <laughs> the music reality you know my band got crushed in in the time that we were out there trying to do it and it was one of my favorite chapters of my life and when it, the band went down in flames i came back to college as an old man in shame <laughs> i was probably 24 or something when i came back which is like huge that age gap is huge if you're around a bunch of 18 year olds mm-hmm. and um but when i came back dude i got that's the most i ever got out of college was the second year and a half stint because I went and got my ass kicked for a while. And then when I came back, I knew what I wanted to know, dude. Like I had um, an experiential tapestry to put this academic access up against, you know what I'm saying? So like I thrived in college in the second half and that made me think, man, I wish it was more okay for people to live for a while and then go to college after getting whooped a little bit. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, I, I studied music when I was, I started when I was 28. Um, so nice. I, I was like 10 years and I wasn't actually, there was, there was only six people in my class cause it was a, it was a jazz music program. And the idea was that the six people formed an ensemble. So there was three, the rhythm section and, and three horns. And I wasn't the oldest either. So there was like, I think one of my, one of my colleagues was like mid thirties when he started two kids, you know, had lived a life, but you're, you're studying with guys who are 10 plus years younger than you who you know have to live through a lot of that and it can be weirdly frustrating that they think the wednesday night gig for 30 quid is is important 
you know, because they haven't gone through what you had gone through or they ha I had lived a bit of life beforehand and seen that it's really in the grand scheme of it not that important. And it, when I was um when I was there, I, I did this sort of internship with an enterprise uh, charity in, in, in Scotland that got people to be, got students to be enterprising and entrepreneurial. And I would, I would like hijack conversations in the lunch hall and just be like, so what are you going to do when you graduate? And all the actors would be like, well, I'm going to go and act. I was like, well, if that doesn't work out, what, what are you going to do? And they would look at you like you had five heads because of course it's going to work out. But they don't think about like all of last year's graduates that came out that aren't working, the year before's graduates, the year before that's graduates, the 10 years ago, plus every other graduate school who's putting actors out into the world for these very, very finite number of jobs. Mm. And Boy. you get, get people starting to think about, okay, well, like, can I do what they call like five minute theater and take that to kids and teach kids about like, don't do drugs. And instead of working in Starbucks, they're actually honing their craft in a different way. But there's like very few people can think like that and colleges don't teach it. And I think it should be one of these things that they, they, they teach you to think about it in an alternative way. Like you, I don't know that you would have learned the YouTube thing at college. You had to figure that out, right? Yeah, I don't, the word YouTube didn't get said in college either. I, I know what you're saying. Hmm. So that, that becomes a hustle that you figure out on your own that can help you whilst the gigs aren't bountiful. Man, I, yeah, I, boy, my brain is going a lot of places as you say all that stuff. I kind of where I, the lily pad that I end up on as you say all this stuff is I guess like the people that are just, I'm not talking about me, by the way, but I, I'm talking about people that I look up to. The the people that are going to make it happen is like, they're, they're just sort of determined to do that regardless, right? I Because mm. I know, even as you were saying, like, you'd ask these people like, all right, what are you going to do when you get out of here? They go, well, of course I'm going to act. That, that's how this works. I do what I'm told and then I become an actor, right? That's how that works. I, I do think a lot of the musicians I look up to, like, yeah, they just, they just quietly knew that it was going to, which in at moments maybe seems delusional. Like, yeah, I'm just going to be a musician. What are you talking about? I, that's all <laughs> there is like the super, there is something, uh, there's like this nice, momentum or vector that comes out of just blindly being like i don't know if this is a dumb idea or not but i'm <laughs> this is the only thing i'm thinking about i'm just going to be a musician and then um i with some combination of that uh tenacity but also i guess longevity maybe is the other component the willingness to bang your head on that concrete over and over again forever <laughs> eventually it sticks maybe on some level i identify this way too that just all the luck that's come my way has just been just managed to hang on by a fingernail and not go bankrupt or something and then finally one of those tin cans rolled my way you know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah i do i do it's funny because i was listening to your drumio podcast um the drumio gab one you did and you were talking about what you put out versus what you get back mm -hmm and talking about sort of paying karmic bills and things. And it's like some people just, it just doesn't happen for them. And they're putting out all the good. You know, they're positive people. They're, 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 they're working hard. They worked hard at their craft. They're actually physically very good at their craft, but maybe they, they don't have the right t-shirt on at the audition or mm. they, they, they brought the wrong ride symbol that day and the, and the, the artist doesn't like, do you know what I'm saying? And it just yeah. like, that sucks, man. And they don't have a they don't have a, a way to negotiate around it. I uh, dig, and that's why in my mind the solution is like, okay, go to three hundred of those auditions and see, like, <laughs> do you know what I'm saying? Right. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. But you've got to be built for that, right? Totally. I and and so and then back to the determination thing. I don't and I don't again. I don't mean to 
uh, I can sort of speak my own experience of that, but I'm not really trying to talk about me. I more see it in like the people that I look up to, but um, I, the, the musicians that I know that are really like unwaveringly dedicated to this stuff don't care at all that they have to go yeah. to 300. They get to go to 300 auditions. They're like, right. of course. And I, re I was reflecting on this yesterday, just thinking about, cause I forget from time to time that this is documented in some of my old videos and so people bring it up to me from time to time like i used to go to kroger and buy on tuesdays or something you could buy five bags of frozen vegetables for tw <laughs> 20 cents five for a dollar yeah. and i made them 20 cents each and like that was my meal it was just like i would microwave some frozen vegetables dude and um I, when i think about doing that now i'm like oh that sounds like suffering but i remember that at the time, I, I didn't even notice I was doing that because I was mm. thinking about the drums, man. It was mm. like I, I yeah. could not live in a, in a universe where I wasn't just playing the drums. And so it wasn't frictional at all. I was just doing it. And I, uh, every mm. audition that came around, I've put a ton of pressure on myself. But uh, and every audition felt like it was the last opportunity I was ever going to get. But there was not a I never remember having the feeling of like, man, if they don't hire me for this gig, I have to quit the drums like and mm. just go work at Kmart or something that never <laughs> crossed mm. my mind. I knew I knew that even if I was going to earn below the poverty line for my entire life, that I was just going to do it forever. Mm. And, I, um, and and that makes me, you can tell I'm confused about uh, whether I've won the lottery or whatever, whether I have <laughs> anything to do with it. But uh, my I can tell mathematically looking back on all these years that even the gig that I'm on now is like largely a product of just, I managed to be some sort of cockroach surviving <laughs> the nuclear Holocaust. I never, I never, I just barely managed to not go have to work at Foot Locker or something. And I hung on and, uh, and enough, you know, there's, I just feel like, um, if you, if you take care of your craft or whatever, there's enough room for everybody. If it's, if it's good, well, likewise with YouTube, if you can just make some good stuff, there's enough room mm. for it. Yeah, I dig. I remember listening to Mark, I'm and I'm not trying to be a glass half empty guy, because quite clearly you're a glass half full guy. Um, <laughs> but Mark Juliana talking about why he didn't want to identify himself as just a drummer, mm. because there's going to be one day where he wakes up and doesn't want to play the drums. Yeah. You know, because there's, there's pressure comes with that too, but it, it's all down to how you manage it, I guess uh i this is another trait of like it, you saying that rings that bell in my brain this is another trait of musicians that i look up to that um i it can be disguised sometimes even like under the umbrella of just being a drummer there's no doubt that the whole the whole theme of our conversation here kind of is like maximizing on the numbers right maximizing mm. on the opportunities three hot 300 auditions is going to get you more lottery tickets than 10 auditions right and so almost to me what mark is the equivalent of what mark is saying is that yeah if you're not just a drummer if there are many ways that you contribute creative value to the music world then like there, that's just that many more lottery tickets or something yeah. right you know what yeah, i'm saying and so yeah yeah so within drumming um it's it might be one thing i know one choice i had to make is like it's one thing to be all in on one band and your fate mm. depends on whether that one band succeeds or not when i moved to nashville it was like Dude, I played for everybody that called me, man. And it was like, I think that felt like the equivalent of, yeah, not hitching my wagon to one thing or something. Would you hitch it again? Um, would I hitch it again to one like, band yeah, now? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, every side man, 
in my world, yeah, I have two reactions to that. One is all of my friends who are <laughs> even like the most successful side musicians I know, they all kind of set me included. We all sort of look out the window and salivate about like, yeah, but what would it be like to be in a band again, man? Yeah. And sometimes this manifests in the form of like a lot of side musicians that I really dig here. They actually do have bands that plays at, you know, broadcasts on Tuesday night or the five spot here. And mm. it's just a pet project but deep down it's also this like oh my gosh what if this could blow up and then i don't have to play drums for kenny chesney anymore or whatever <laughs> that's a bad example because i'm not specifically referring to kenny chesney yeah, yeah, when okay. i say that but it, and likewise man i have little musical projects like that that i work on and try and scratch that itch that that don't get set. i'm on the biggest tour of my life right now we just we opened with two sold out nights at madison square garden a couple wow. of months ago is running for nine months all the way to the end of September, closing then at Staples Center in Los Angeles. And I thought, I know that this is what I was visualizing when I was 13 years old, sitting in math class going like, oh man, I wanna play the <laughs> biggest shows on the planet. But I can also recognize from doing this that, you know, I don't have any ownership of that music to kind of tie this into what we're talking about. Like, uh, I am merely I am merely a bellhop for it. I am a, mm. I am a, mechanic that works on that car or i'm some part of that vehicle but um i am not it i am not the creator yeah. of it you know what i'm saying and so i have understood getting to this point uh playing music professionally that there is a different there's a different kind of satisfaction you can get between doing music at a high level and people appreciating that and like making your own thing that belongs to you and you're all in on that mm -hmm. you know what i'm saying yeah. that may not have directly answered what you're asking is just like would you go all in on one thing anymore? I think that there, I have a little shelf that I can put my own, let's call it band stuff or creative stuff on that I, mm. my existence is essential to that and I have to do it. But my quality of life uh, financially is not dependent on that because I've been so lucky as a side musician. Um, and so the other reaction I have to your question, what I hitched to one thing is, yeah, by the time you're playing for, an artist who is on a an arena tour for nine months that's all you're doing man like that's your yeah, job right. you yeah. can't work for anybody else so that's where i'm at right now man i have one contract right now and i'm so happy this is like what this is what we work for years and years and years to try and manifest is like a gig like this and i feel really really lucky to be doing it oh sweet good um yeah so and and researching i i, I watched your drumio lesson about backbeat fills which is ace um, but you, you you mentioned like some celeb Nashville guys, like and and you kind of separated yourself from these drummers, your Rich Redsmans and all that. Mm. But what do you think separates those guys from everybody else? You know, why are those? What is it those guys do as drummers that puts them in that position? Man, interesting. You're talking about these fellas like Rich Redman. Mm, yeah and okay um uh, i can't i can't jim riley and and you yeah. know, these guys you know okay yeah i remember that conversation that's funny that was going on drumio was four years ago now and really so, wow but you know like your memory can be false sort of and so i i've learned like the more time that passes since i went on drumio the more my own memory of it has distorted but i do remember going in there thinking like wow Harry Myrie shouldn't be on Drumio. I thought Drumio <laughs> was for, yeah, like for Rich. I remember Rich Redman being on there. I remember Jim Riley being on there. And I I forget what other Nashville dudes have come across that thing. But I didn't think of myself as one of them. Mm. And I do remember being really intentional when I went in there of thinking like, 
yo, I'm not, I'm not out here headlining stadiums. I, I wanted people to connect to me, not as when, when people see Rich, that rightfully they go like, wow, that's like, look at that stadium drummer who's been doing it his whole life uh, and is playing for one of the most successful country artists of all time. Mm. Um, and it's not by accident that he's doing that, right? He's not, mm. I know it's easy to tell ourselves the story like, oh, wow, look at, look at that guy. He's, we're all doing the same thing. We're all just playing these drum beats. And then this guy gets lucky and plays for a big art. That's not the, that's not what happened with Rich Redmond, dude. It, like talk about maximizing your opportunities or whatever. I, you know, I was speaking a second ago in terms of 300 auditions. I bet Rich did 2000, you know yeah. what I'm saying? Yeah. And like, he, he just never said no to anything and he'll tell you that himself. And so, what we see on the outset of that is that he's just playing with Jason Aldean or something. But this is not by accident that mm. he, that in his generation of drummers, like he blossomed on this like hella successful thing. And mm -hmm. the other thing I've always noticed about Rich is that not all these drummers have in common is his, uh, his ability to actually play the drums, his, uh, like as a craftsman, his true dedication to like, having a, a like a deep relationship with his instrument is like sublime mm. um you know he a certain a certain style of play is called for when he plays with aldine but if you just happen to sit at drums with him outside of that gig and get him to play like latin stuff or uh, <laughs> i don't know yeah. you know like play brushes or whatever he's like he's so deep as a musician is like unbelievable and i know that's hard to tell like on the surface because of the context that he gets presented in um but the the point of all this is I, he is he is the best example i could give you of number one longevity number two absolute tenacity like mm. absolute refusal to uh let any opportunities slip through the the cracks and um you know dedicated to the instrument and all that uh i when i went to drumeo though I remember thinking, I'm not that. I the, mm. I didn't want people to connect to me that way. I wanted people to see me as like I'm the guy sitting here eating frozen vegetables and <laughs> you know making $125 a night sometimes. Yeah. And like, but look, I I have a life that's working for me. So let me speak as that guy, not as like, um, here follow me and you can go headline stadiums. Do you know what I'm saying? Absolutely, absolutely. Right on. But it's like there's there's something that happens with these guys that gets them from where you were at then to being on. Jason Aldean and I think it's, it's like it's something beyond tenacity I, I think I, I don't know what it is it's like they have a little bit of magic yeah oh dude there's no doubt and you can feel that when they're on the instrument and the other like the story I tell myself all the time now is the last ingredient the most elusive one is time I if you think of it like gardening the carrot if a, if a carrot needs 10 gallons i don't know how much it needs i'm not a fucking gardener <laughs> if a carrot needs 10 gallons of water in its lifetime to grow out of the ground my the way i operate is like okay well let me get 10 gallons of water i'll dump all 10 gallons on this carrot right now and like right. that's not dude you just have to water that thing a little bit every day for a long ass time and that's how that yeah. fucking thing grows out of the ground uh well i've alienated all the kids with my <laughs> terrible language sorry man no that's okay man that's just all good keep going you you dig what I'm saying about the the carrot though, and this is the story I tell myself. That may have to do, more to do with me than with Rich, right? It's like, what do I focus on about that? Well, I I just I, I never wrote it down when I wrote the question, but I remember thinking at the time when I watched it, is it is it more than just time served? You know, because mm -hmm. you know it, it can't just be time served because if it was just time in, there would be tons of guys that aren't great out on big gigs. 
because it's Man. a time. You know what I mean? Because it's a time serve thing. You know, you're totally right. And no, no one component that we can isolate here will be the entire story. And also, like I have the real, the honest answer I should have given you a long time ago is I have no idea. <laughs> I have absolutely no idea. But I was, I was sitting in therapy yesterday, and we were talking about something close to this sort of. And the word I could not stop saying was luck. I know that I can't speak for, like Rich would have to tell you himself, like what his path was to that, but I even to do what I'm doing right now, which I am astounded by, I'm astoundingly grateful to be doing it. I, the only explanation I have been able to give to everybody that's wanted to talk to me about it is like absurd luck, mm. absolutely absurd luck. Mm. So you know what I'm saying? I do. I do. Um, so, you know, anybody that spends any time watching you play, will realize that you've got quite a unique voice on the instrument, both the way you set it up, the way you play it. Is that something that you had to cultivate or is it something that you've just always had? I know what you mean. Um, many, the, I've, I've been noticing lately that the, you know, the more people that recognize you, the more you become a caricature of yourself, right? Right. Like, right. Okay. And so when kids bring signs to shows or stop me in the airport or whatever, like, you know, I'll be sent, people will draw me and stuff and and what I, I always notice like what gets accentuated about we have to simplify people down to like a couple of things right and so for me it's dude mm -hmm. it's cowbell <laughs> it's the blazer and definitely the thing that maybe you're asking about is like my drum setup is super back asswards um, <laughs> and so i i have like these are the things that to me or to people in my personal life or whatever we can mistakenly think no i'm a million different things i have like lots of subtlety to me but i recognize that to the sort of outer cloisters of people that know who i am it's yeah it's like a very small handful of those characteristics and those things to answer your question like those have been in me before i could speak english if that makes right. any sense absolutely like, yeah i i just dude has been the number one most used word of my <laughs> life since before i even played the drums man right. and and likewise, uh, I would say, how long have I been playing the drums? I've been playing drums for, is the year 2022? So I've been playing drums for 21 years. Right. Way, way more than half of that. Yeah, my setup has been that open-handed thing. It would be weirder to me to play like a normal drum mm -hmm. set at this mm -hmm. point in my life. And so, and even the very first, I think maybe I've told this story before, but the very first time I ever sat down at a drum set and there, there was a guy showing me this is, the hi hat and this is the snare and i put my left hand went to where the hat was mm -hmm. and my right hand went to the, where the snare was because that's like what our body is reflecting when mm. we sit at a drum kit i realize that's not the case with the feet but um which is why we have this conflict in the first place but i remember the dude correcting me he grabbed me by the forearms he's like no 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 no. you cross him over and i i took his word for it because like you're an adult and you have 300 drum sets sitting here in this room and mm -hmm. you can play paradiddles really fast but i'm i'm glad it didn't that's the last drum lesson i ever had was the day we got a drum set for me and i'm glad that it wore off and i went no that doesn't make any sense to me and i'm gonna i'm gonna play these the way my body is asking mm -hmm. me that was um like totally totally natural to me and his in the you know the rest if you're saying which i totally appreciate and blows my mind that i that i sound like me when i play the drums or whatever totally totally comes from that thing right it's it's impossible to have right-handed standard isms on the kit that i play and i know that that's 
related to that. And same with my other weird little idiosyncrasies. I feel that they've just always been in there. And now my job is to not get in the way of them. You know what I'm saying? Absolutely. Um, the, the sort of thing that led me to that kind of question was that if you, because I, when I research people, I, I try and research them. So I, I like back to your, through your YouTube and like some really early videos, you're, you're, you're playing some car stuff. And if you're anything like me, I grew up on, on grunge music. So like Jimmy Chamberlain is kind of the guy, right? And I have like modes of drumming and I can go into that and I can play that stuff and I can cop that without even thinking about it. Mm -hmm. It's just kind of parked in a space in my brain and I'll just go like, JC, press it, and I'll, I'll like, I'll, I'll, like, I'll play with heels up, I'll, eighths on the hats, broken right, you know all that shit. Wow. And you, I, I imagine you have that with Carter, where you have like, you can just pull out that hi hat stuff if you want it, you know where the splashes are and putting the splashes on those, and it's like it's not even a thought. But then there's the guy that gets paid, right? There's a guy that does the sessions in Nashville, and and he can't necessarily always pull that stuff out, but it's still part of the voice, dude. There's no doubt. We are all a kaleidoscope of, as it was put to me a few days ago, we are all a kaleidoscope of like all the experiences <laughs> we've ever had. Mm -hmm. And so you, I relate so deeply to the thing you just said about Jimmy Chamberlain, dude. Even though I know, I, it, you know, I owned one Smashing Pumpkins record, but, mm. um, and so it's not like I can, I'm not saying I can go there. I can't, yeah, yeah. but, uh, but what you're saying about Carter, that's totally true. Like I have downloaded his operating system mm -hmm. into my brain. And so, I'll be at their gigs sometimes. I've I've been to like 80 something of their shows. <laughs> I'll be at their gigs sometimes and a, a musical situation starts to well up and I know as he's playing it, I know what he's going to do. <laughs> but the other thing I have to say in the same breath is, and this is why I've been to 80 something shows, is the beautiful, amazing thing about that dude is every time I go see them, there is there still is a moment where i think i know what he's going to do and he does some instead he does something i've never heard him do in my life mm -hmm. i can't believe he still innovates on the instrument like that yeah. but i have a whole section on this i have like a whole section on this i have a couple of other nashville questions but we'll deep we'll deep deep dive we'll dive deep yeah well i guess this relates then to the, the last question did moving to nashville change you as a player Oh, so much. I can't think of anything that's changed me more than moving to really? Nashville. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Did it simplify or what did it do? Yeah, I. so I love that you asked me this because I've never directly thought about it. But, dude, when, this is so embarrassing to think about. When I first moved here, man, and I got... I moved here... The first gig I ever got, fine. I think that went well. The second gig I ever got sort of on top of that on pretty short notice was like, Hey man, will you come play for this country artist? I'm like country music. I don't know what that is, but sure. I'll... And we had, we were playing four hour sets in bars, dude. And so I had to just, it felt like you know, I had two nights to learn the music or something like that. And it felt like it's not a fair way to do it. But in two nights I had to learn the entire to cram it into 40 songs, the, the essence of the entirety of country music at that time. Right. Plus a little bit of its history. Right. And so it was, it was not, it's not possible to get that in your DNA that quickly. And so I played it like me. I didn't play it like a country guy. I played it like me. I have footage of it. I brought a splash symbol. I'm, I don't know if I'm kidding or not, but I may, did I have a China symbol too? I can't remember, but, but I know for a fact I had a splash symbol and that I hit that thing and nobody, nobody will tell you to your face not to do that. You just have no. to like, but I can't, dude, 
I cannot believe when I think back on that, <laughs> that I was doing that and that I didn't get fired. That's how desperate they were for a drummer. But uh, oh, I think that my, you know, my, how hard that blows my mind is partly a reflection of how this place is in me now. I like, I do, I do know the language of this music now. Um, mm. And splash symbol is not in that fucking. No, no, no. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So that's an example of what I mean. Yeah. Amazing. What's the most important thing you learned? about when you moved there like what what is the town taught you musically more than anything else yeah and we're talking musically here right yeah yeah just like cause yeah life is life you learn whatever you go but like totally nashville's yeah. so so massive within the, the sort of the, the grand scheme of music in general totally i this is going to sound really trite but i really do mean it and it's the first thing that came to my mind the the thing that i the spiritual thing that i learned here about music is that it's about the song mm. um that we the thing that we're all trying to row the same way on is the song. Mm. Um, and I, which is that word is related to music, but is not necessarily music. You know what I'm saying? It's mm -hmm, about mm -hmm. the total combination of like the words and and who's singing those words and what those words mean and the way, the way the song and, and all that. And the drum, the drums should only ever enhance that. And I've promised I did not understand that before <laughs> I moved here. Cause, dude, I came up on Blink One Eighty Two, where, right. where now in hindsight, when I put it all together, I go, yeah, I actually think Travis is doing that too. And the way that yeah. you carry that song out is that that's a different culture entirely. That's Southern California, super high adrenaline shit, and so the drums need to be expressive in that way. But the mistake that I made, and that I I know I'm not the only one is that I thought like, oh, Travis Barker is the most impressive drummer that I know, or Carter for that matter. And uh, they wail all the time because that's what their music calls for. Therefore, that's what I should do on like everybody's thing. And I should bring a splash cymbal playing for <laughs> Brindley Addington, you know. Um, that's what I had to separate out. Dude, when you play for, when you play for country music singers, dude, like you, you need to serve this song. I know a million people have said that, but I'm saying it from my heart right now. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's amazing how much the context gets overlooked. You read interviews with guys and it's like, it's grooves or chops. Like, it's just about grooves or chops. It's about uh, so much more than, than, than right just on. that. And it must feel weird as well because you could be playing music that is being sung by a human that didn't write those words. So you have to find a context for someone else through someone else isn't that funny yeah we are putting on a play for sure mm, um that's a great I, way to put it yeah i dude I, that has become really apparent to me i don't know if it's totally fair to say this but it's just what comes to mind the one of my favorite tours i ever went on last year i was playing with Lindsay l and we toured with blake shelton all in the mm -hmm. fall and i think blake is one i to my knowledge i'm not sure that he writes songs necessarily he's just okay. like the ultimate singer he's the ultimate mm -hmm uh mouthpiece for these songs to like manifest so mm. um my friend hardy who i'm playing with now wrote a bunch of blake's hits oh, and wow. so okay so i have hardy's demos of like god's country that's one of the big songs mm -hmm. right and so like i've heard what that what that sounds like coming from the dude who wrote it and then i've heard what it sounds like when it's channeled through an artist like blake shelton where it's like he didn't he didn't write that, but he is the best. Uh, he is, for whatever reason, the chosen vehicle, uh, vi visual and cultural sort of representation of that song. And his job is to just sing it super good. Mm. But I can, it is, once you see it, you can't unsee it. There's a huge difference between 
somebody wrote this and is singing it from right here and mm -hmm. somebody is a kick-ass singer and they're part of a massive machinery and their their piece of that machinery is that they're the singer of it and so you know like the in terms of the public we think yeah that's that guy's song and he's singing it or whatever but i think this dates back to elvis dude i think elvis was singing yeah. stuff he didn't write right but he was the perfect vehicle for the stuff that he was singing right yeah absolutely absolutely yeah. It's, it's kind of like extended cover band weirdness oh dude it is very much like that and as this relates to the drums i like that's an I, i've never necessarily thought of it this way but like the connection i'm feeling you make here is that that's what you're doing on the drums too i don't play on most of these records um so i'm out here expressing things in the way that i express them naturally but like definitely expressing something that somebody else said yeah. and i am a i am a cover band musician in that way that the drum parts i'm playing on the road right now were all created and recorded by jerry rowe mm -hmm. um mm -hmm. and and uh so i'm he's he's in my playing too and i gotta be mindful of his parts and all that and then spin put top spin where i'm supposed to put top spin but also honor his thing so yeah it is some melting pot of all those things yeah yeah weird so carter i rewatched your video with carter and it's actually amazing um because like I, I i've interviewed a bunch of guys for, for this podcast now but it, it was obvious that the, the value you've gained from carter's influence is huge and do you think that level of influence now is missing from young young bucks coming up like they they don't have a carter in the way that you did you 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 every note of every album since 1993 mm, wow. something something along those lines yeah um yeah the dmb started in 91 but the earliest like commercial recordings we have are 93 yeah if you're a real nerd you can get tapes of them playing in 91 <laughs> but it doesn't they would admit to this too it does not they don't totally sound like they have it yet. No, it's yeah. not the same. <laughs> it's, not, it's not the same. But dude, that is, if you're at the right point in your life, it is inspiring to listen to those tapes. I know, like, when I first heard that stuff, I was like, wow, this sounds terrible, and I turned it off. And then, like, years later, when I was going through trying to make my own thing, and it, it was sounding terrible, when I, when I heard, now when I hear those 91 recordings of them, I'm like, whoa, they were already them from the get-go. Like, yeah. I, it sounds totally different to me now. It's like, yeah, but more as like a historical document. Anyway, none of that is what you're asking me. I, my, 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 that's, that should be the title of this podcast is cool. There's the answer to what you didn't ask me. It, um, dude. So my, off the dome, my first reaction to what you just asked me is cause you're relating it to like, you know, is the current generation of up and coming drummers, like, are they missing the sort of, um, depth of, um, relationship that we had the opportunity to have with music when we were growing up and it has it has crossed my mind that I, I guess my first reaction off the dome is like I don't I don't feel totally in touch with this the mindset of like the current uh mm. up and coming uh, generation of musicians I know I've been doing a lot of stuff with little kids rock in the last year okay I've been like donating drum sets to schools that don't have oh, wow. drum sets. And, um, and in the process of that, I'm meeting like a lot of these music student kids and like answering questions sometimes and hanging at schools and stuff. And, um, I am constantly moved by how much I feel like one of them. I always feel more like internally, emotionally, I feel like way more of a 13 year old than like an adult. <laughs> right. 
and so, so yeah some of my favorite and probably emotionally in terms of my maturity i'm a 13 year old too so like I, some of the most um connective conversations i've had musically in the last year or two have been with guys and gals that are um it's all still ahead of them sort of and they're wondering like man i love this how am i going to make it work and i do find that the level of obsession or the intensity of that heat is totally the same from what i remember it being when i was sitting in math class not paying attention to math mm. and thinking <laughs> total brain fully dominated by music so the the heat feels equal but i i do know that these kids don't know what it feels like to hold a cd in their hand and now i sound like old man yells at cloud i'm really just trying to answer what you're asking me it's not like i sit around <laughs> thinking about this stuff or yelling at the clouds about it but i know that I, f I don't know if it's better or worse, but I do know that I feel so thankful that uh, the first, let's say, 10 records I ever listened to, I had to listen to them like a thousand times each mm -hmm. because that's all I had. Mm -hmm. I, could, I didn't have like on-demand music or anything. And so as a result of this, like I know to the second, on my way here, I was listening to the Green Day album Nimrod from mm -hmm. 1997. That was all I had. I went on like a cruise as a kid and all I had was that one CD. I left the rest of my CDs at home. And so that's all I could listen to. I spun that thing five times a day. Wow. And, and so I can, at the end of Redundant, uh, Mike Dern on the bass, he just, he doesn't realize it's still recording. He's, he's done ringing out and he screws around. He kind of scratches one of the, the uh, strings and does like a little, uh, what would you call it? He just noodles a little bit. He mm -hmm. can't help it. And I, it's all, it's at the very end of the fade out. You would have to crank it to hear it, but I know where it is to the second and I know exactly what it sounds like. And what I've realized from recognizing that as I was driving here is that like all of the, about as much of the nuance as a human being can absorb from Nimrod, like it's in me. Mm -hmm. And that gives you different nutrients than hearing a million different songs one time. You know what I'm saying? And if I had to pick between the two, I would pick to hear one things a million, one thing a million times rather than a million things one time. Yeah. Yeah, because even the way that music is recorded and produced now is all like the same volume, dynamics are missing. There's like, I was, yeah. I, was I, I was talking to, what was I watching? Maybe something with Rick Beato. Do you watch Rick Beato? I heard his name. He's sensational. You should like sensational. You you use lose days of your life on YouTube. He, he has a series called "What Makes This Song Great," where he tears mm -hmm. a song apart. But I think he put on like everyone wants to rule the world, tears for fears, and he broke it yeah. down. And it's like something bonkers, like a minute and a half before the vocals come in. Like, can you imagine a song hitting the radio now where the vocals don't come in for like a minute and a half? I know, man. I yeah, everything's in a super hurt. Everything has to like dominate your attention really quickly or else yep. it just doesn't exist yeah i do that to me is very real i i understand that we're, that's where we are in the movement right now i know that but i'll tell you why i don't mind we all have the opportunity to swim the other way nobody's actually stopping you from starting your mm. vocal 90 seconds in mm. um does this mean that all these kids who watch things for 10 seconds at a time on instagram are going to pass you up yeah they are they're not going to pay attention <laughs> to your song and I guess for me, the goal is like, all right, well, did you want their attention anyway? Or do you want to make stuff that you can't live without making? And so I know uh, even I remember when I was making YouTube videos that there were best practices that suggested um, th these should be shorter and there should be like more action more quickly. And mm. I, I learned pretty early on, like, 
oh yeah yeah i see how that breeds a certain kind of success you could you could super pump your numbers up of subscribers or views by making something that caters to that but you dude you're making choices that are going to affect your life like you're choosing who your fans are when you do mm. that and the choice you're making is like yeah i want people with like short attention spans who value the fireworks they don't value me they don't value my character my musical mm. spirituality they just like value flashing lights really quickly that just managed to outcompete all the other cat videos is like <laughs> i i dude i'm so thankful that like my vi in the drumming world my village is pretty probably in the scheme of things pretty small like i don't or I, I don't have a good sense of that but i know like my village is a hundred thousand people whereas you have a place like drumio that's what is that a million or two million or something so yeah. So I know I'm not a city, I'm a village, but the th mm. like I am so I've had the attitude for a long time, even since I had 1000 subscribers, not even 100,000 subscribers that if I can just take care of these 1000 that like saw something in me and give a shit and they like it enough, then if anybody else kind of sees out of the corner of their eye that this is happening and they want to come hang, then yeah, come hang. And that's how it's expanded to what it's at now. But I, yeah, I've had opportunities maybe to cash in on um, that that uh momentum that all of us are feeling that man you got to be fast and it has to be a bunch of stuff and the colors have to be bright and all that and um it's a you got to stand for that every day if you're if you're going to stand for no, no no i have something else to say and it's 12 minutes it's not 12 seconds yeah um you, you i i do have to push that boulder uphill mentally sometimes to stick to that but I, in hindsight i i've like always been glad that i've done that i do feel really like peaceful and still in my relationship with my work because of that. Do you know what I'm saying? Absolutely. Absolutely. Right on. Um, when you were talking to Seamus, you were talking about Carter and you said something really rad when you were talking, you, you, you were mentioning about the minute of music that you played him and, and you let him hear how his playing had evolved over all that time. And you said all he has is now where you're talking about like, like he's not thinking about anything else, which is like, next level ability and mastery of of his instrument and, and the music he's playing because he can flip it any way he wants at any point and he can play some of the hippest shit MD's ever heard mm. and and like bend your brain how do you think he gets there or how do you think a player gets to that point where that's all they have dude yeah so back to you know you were kind of asking me like how in a I'm kind of oversimplifying the question, but you were sort of asking me like, how did you become you? What did did mm. you do the math and cultivate that? Or were you just born that way? You know, from spending the amount of time I've spent with Carter in the last three years, I've been spending a ton of time with him. Oh, wow. Um, okay. I can tell you with certainty, man, that like that dude has been the same guy forever. Like it really? is, it's a, it's amazing as I've been kind of digging into their archives and sort of having access to what he was like as a musician in the 80s and then even like pre-Dave Matthews band, you know, mm -hmm. like I've been talking to guys that were in bands with him in the 80s, like his band Secrets, or mm -hmm. he had another band called Blue Indigo with Sal Segoyan. And these are guys I've had the opportunity to like talk to on the phone in the last year and and like try and put together like, who is this dude? And how, when did he deviate from humanity and become like the greatest to ever touch this <laughs> instrument? Like that's the unanswerable question that I've been trying to answer. And, and, you know, I talked to Carter about it too. I grill him. I've sat up till like three in the morning with him before really? just, just asking him like everything, you know, and the later the night goes, the more like 
insane and real it can get you know the more you can really be honest about stuff and like the thing of of all the you know we could talk for 10 hours about this but if i were to distill it down into one idea it's like man that that's in carter's dna he's so unattached from what is the written history of this thing what how momentous is this gig or that gig or whatever every every time he touches the drums is like spiritually equal to him and it's now and it has nothing to do with but it's he also i know he understands that what happened that day to like raise his blood pressure or make him feel nice or whatever yes that he's going to express that that's going to come through his playing he knows that and he also knows that everything he's ever listened to contributes to that kaleidoscope and i think one thing that's really unique about him is if i have five influences that if my kaleidoscope is basically five drummers and i sound like that plus that plus that plus that he is like one of the greatest examples i know of he's like five thousand he's a kaleidoscope of five thousand drummers and i think the more influence you have the more unique your kaleidoscope becomes and the more it the more difficult it is to to uh dissect that it's like oh that's tony williams and that's i mean he's told me now that yeah tony williams is one of the ones i know everybody knows that he also was saying the fella from he said it in that video that you're talking about and now i can't remember the uh return to forever who played oh, drums lenny, in... lenny white yes lenny white he's like and i was like lenny white i've never heard of him so then i went home and listened to lenny white stuff and i hear him go and snare on two and then floor time on four i go oh that's how carter does number 41 and like the outro of bartender and all this is like oh it came from lenny white but i can't detect that stuff carter is like is he's so full of all that stuff that he's managed to reach that unconscious effortless state where he does I, he truly in his conscious mind he doesn't know where any of this stuff comes from he just lived a lifetime of being a devout musician and then when that breakdown of what would you say comes along there literally nothing is happening in his brain like he is just <laughs> doing it i think that's the definition of like levitating that's the definition of like zen you know what i'm saying yeah. like they could I, put his yeah his face on the cover of effortless mastery anyway what yeah you right say? totally no i was just like because I've, I've only seen them play i think i've only seen them play twice i've seen dave acoustically but i've only seen the back because they don't come over here all too often but I remember they played the first time I saw them. They played Trouble from Dave's solo record. Yeah, and he played this felon to come in that just bent the fucking room round, man. Like, what is going on? And it's in mm -hmm. six eight, and he's like, like after like the second eighth note, nobody knows where beat one is except the band. And it's like, and he comes in, and it's like he can't. I guess what I'm trying to say is he can't ever be anything except himself, right? Yeah. Which is which is. Ultimately, where we should all aim to be is just be yourself. But he's been like that since 91. Yeah. And it's 2022. It's like you listen to every Dave record and he hasn't changed. Yeah. You can hear where, you can hear where producers have reined him in. Like you listen to stand up and you're just like, the producer's all over his case because he's behaving. You know, mm -hmm. like he's been made to behave. He's not being allowed. And you listen to every day and he's like, he's not being allowed to be Carter. Either the band have decided that they want to go down a slightly different road or the producer's just like, nah, 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 man. Like, you know, and you, you kind of yearn to hear it. But you go see them live and he's been the same guy forever. Dude, amen. I know what you're talking about on stand-up. Um, that producer basically like cut his drumming up and looped it sometimes, yeah. you know, like 
he was a that that guy Mark Batson. He had like a real hip hop mentality, and that's sort of how they make hip hop records or whatever. I know what you're saying, and that makes it so much more amazing. When then on the 2005 tour for stand up, they go out and play it live, and it's like, whoa, he's yeah. like slamming this stuff. I know what you mean. Even those Lily White records, when you hear the studio recording of Ants Marching, it's so rained in, it's so polite or something. And then you go get the live version, and it's just hammering. Yeah. yeah, but it's it's just like, but his his, his personality still all over all of it. Even yes, like even when he's he is kind of uh, sort of pulled in a bit, it's still unforgettably him. That snare drum sound, like mm. the the ghosties on the hats, and just like he'll play a tom fill with one hand. It's just like it's almost inaudible, but it's like right there, and it, the song's not the song without it. And but then you'll go see him live and he doesn't play it, he plays something else and it's just still the same. It's just, un it's really, really hard to wrap your head around. Yeah, that's that thing of, like he, okay, I love that you said that because it perfectly clicks into perspective the thing I've been stumbling in the dark trying to say. He, my, one of my favorite things about Carter is it can drive you crazy or it can be a religious experience. <laughs> he doesn't even know what he played on the record. Yeah, right. That, like, Absolutely. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, uh, for a while, I thought, no, 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 you because during the 2006 tour in Rapunzel on the chorus, he quit going to the ride. He was right. doing it on the hats. He started doing that in 2006. And half of me thinks, I know his, he's had some problems with his left hand. It may have just been painful to, to do that or something. And, and he knew, but I'd watch him do that. And I would be trying to yell from the crowd like, no, 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 no you go to the ride here. Yeah. I, would, I was trying to like correct him. And now and from getting to know him, I'm like, dude, he doesn't know what he played on the record. Also, he doesn't give a shit what he played on the record because <laughs> that's how they made this music in the first place is they're playing what's here now. They're playing right. what's in them right now. And like that's how, and so that can make you go, I know the fans have this thing they get into of like, oh no, why don't you guys go play back to number 40 or do the mm. old lyrics or whatever. That's not how this band works. And mm -hmm. so if you like what they make, then you got to follow them. Like, the yeah. way they make this stuff, which is be in the moment all the time. It's amazing. Yeah, it must be weird because with fans that size, there comes this weird thing where they think they have ownership. And I think I've yeah. seen this a lot And when we put drum clinics on in the store or, or you, people talk about celebs, like they have ownership of these people, forgetting that they're human beings, man. Like mm -hmm. they might not, like the first time I got really hip to this was when Weckl, I went to see Weckl do a clinic. And he started unveiling all this shit like he has arthritis in his hands. He's a super light sleeper. Like he has to change hotel room like four times before he's got to find the quietest room. And it's like, it's no one's fault. It's just how he is. He travels with his own pillow. Like, and that, that night we went to see him do clinic. It was after the clinic and the meet and greet before he ate his dinner. So he did like an entire day mm. without feeding himself. And yeah. still played like a fucking superhuman monster. And you forget, it's really easy to forget. Like, Carter could have gone on stage and, it, like, the catering could have been bad. And he's still got to bring it. Like, like most of us get hangry and moody and, like, we go home like, oh, my lunch sucked. Well, these guys are playing in front of 100,000 people and still have to bring that energy. And he's still got that big smile on his face and he's blowing his bubble gum. And he's, he's like, and he's, you know, do you know what I mean? He's, he's, he still got all that ownership of that amazing facility, even whilst he's a human being. And the fans are like, mm, "You didn't play the right, the fill in correctly." Man, beautifully said. Um, I he he would be the first to say if he were sitting here with us um, in this conversation, he'd be the first to say like, "It doesn't matter who you are, man. Everyone has like shit going on in their yeah. life." There's there's like no doubt about that. And yeah, that's in, that's inspiring, dude, to connect to that human side of it because I. This blows my mind about him 
I I love basketball. I went for the right. first time in my life two months ago. I got to sit at a basketball game like courtside next mm-hmm. to the the Utah Jazz bench, and there was this weird like it was very humanizing, dude. Seeing that like those guys were breathing the same air, and they like they get distracted just like we get distracted or whatever. And um, but I, the thing that I could not unsee once I saw it is like, I maybe this will sound trite, but it was like blowing my mind when it was happening. They. Greatness is happening in the same world that you and I are sitting in right now. It's ha- like yeah, yeah. I'm sitting right next to the jazz bench and watching them just dunk on each other like that right there. I could t- I could have reached out and interfered with the game if I wanted to. Like I was that close to it, and it was impossible to unsee that. Well, dude, this is have these are human beings, and they're just being great in the yeah. same world that we're. And so being around Carter, like in their recording studio, when he's knocking off cobwebs or he's he's like kicking the the rust off and like warming up and stuff like watching him do that like spending a couple of days with him in a in a studio like that and seeing him yeah be human and also at the same time be the greatest to ever do it was like <laughs> so inspiring it didn't make me it was kind of this experience of i didn't walk away thinking like wow he's a god i could never do that i actually walked away thinking like dude you can choose to be fucking great like mm. We can just mm-hmm. choose that and carter mm-hmm. does that just like everyone who who does it like yeah carter has to choose that in the face of all this all these things that work against you yeah maybe you are tired or you don't feel or something's happening or what, like whatever mm. i'm not singling him out it's like you're saying i mean that about anybody mm-hmm. um and he just does it anyway dude he just is great i i think that's like so much more amazing than the idea that he was just the son of zeus or something <laughs> <laughs> maybe he is the son of Zeus. Maybe that's actually probably, maybe he's like yeah. maybe he's a Cree or something. It's probably the, both. Yeah. yeah. Um, all right, that was a, a, a big Carter loving because we all have big love for Carter. Um, you, your video on the sort of financial side of being a musician is obviously huge. What do you think it would take to change the way that musicians are paid and perceived? Do you mean like? Uh, like you're musician. talking about like, like some artists are going to pay you in biscuits and tips and shit you know yeah. and it's like like yeah. wh- 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 where does it come down to like at, you know your worth so yeah. why doesn't and this person understands what it is to make music so why am I getting paid uh, why am I paying for parking to come and play <laughs> your gig do you know what I'm saying I've, like yeah I forgot about that I, I remember having a bit I don't remember which video anymore but I, re- I remember saying I think it was about the Cajon thing that I'm getting paid twenty dollars to play like the listening room or something, and I paid forty dollars to park there. Yeah, that's a real. You know, I everything I wrote in those videos is like real. Yeah, yeah, totally. Um, uh, okay, so since I made that video about money, which I was so nervous to do, uh, I it was like a relief to put it out there and feel like a new conversation started in my life because of that video. And this has come up. The thing that you're asking me is like I. I've had to, yeah, like take some ownership of that question a little more. And by the way, I, it wasn't lost on me that when I made it, like, I'm not a, I don't know anything about any of this stuff. Like all I could really contribute was like, here's, here's my little spreadsheet of money that I made, but, or lack thereof. But, uh, I have had to like confront this question that you're asking me a little more. And for whatever reason, my natural reaction to it has been, uh, yeah. When I get asked like, um, okay, what is the state of 
financially how well we're taking care of musicians right now and is that okay or what can we do to make it more okay if it's not okay and for some reason where i sit with it is like maybe the world i would like to live in is the one where any of us who are ever playing the drums ever are just doing it because we're glad to be doing it and if we're not glad to be doing it just don't do it and (laughs) and right and so if free food comes of that or if 25 dollars or 2500 dollars comes of sitting at the drums and, and doing that then cool but if that's if that's the point i i quit for me it wouldn't be it wouldn't be scalable um mm. and so i d- i don't remember ever getting paid ten dollars to play the drums and going like man i just got ripped off i played so good and they only paid me ten dollars like i've now sometimes i've gone holy shit, that was not worth it like i'm yeah. never doing that again and i but I I just feel I feel responsible for if that transaction is out of balance. It's because I said yes to it. Yeah. It's not because they should have paid me more money. It's I, it's I shouldn't have done it. And what bugs me a little bit about saying that, so matter of fact, is I think that is kind of unempathetic to, of me to say towards drummers that you know deserve to make a lot more than I ever made doing this stuff. I don't. Um, man, I had a dark conversation with a dude yesterday who's like he just. He's trying real hard to get a gig right now. And he's, he absolutely is a better drummer than me. And, um, he, uh, you know, he's got all these reasons in his head. It hasn't that people are ripping him off or whatever. And I don't, I was speechless in this conversation. I don't know what to say. Cause I agree. It's not fair. It's not fair that that guy isn't getting paid shit to be better at the drums than I am. And I'm out here like, um, you know, as soon as I was making more than the poverty line at all, I was like, I'm the richest person on the planet. Like, mm-hmm. um, I, it felt like, a, it, but you get what I'm saying. It felt like a spiritual richness, but yeah, I, I mean, there's a, there's a UK based drummer called Craig Blundell. He's, 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 he's up there and he played drums as a side hustle for like 15 years before he broke through something crazy. But he was like, look, the the reality of it is that if you get paid anything, if you can pay your bills playing music, you've made it. It doesn't matter what the gig is. If your whole life is 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 paid for through this instrument, then you have made it. Now, what you have in your head as as the vision of made it and the reality of made it are maybe wildly different. And you might not think you've made it until you're sitting at Madison Square Garden playing in front of fifteen thousand people. But the 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 actual reality is, if you can if you can buy like diapers or nappies for your kids and feed mm. your wife and yourself by gigging, then you're you're already doing it. You know, um, there's so many people that will come through here and, and moan about the choices they make. We have conversations with people, and it, it, it can get like, well, you know, man, you you you're the one that chose to take it on. Mm. You know, but there's also still an inherent value in one's ability because, you know, if you were an electrician or a plumber, you wouldn't fix someone's house for 10 bucks. That's right. You know, there's, yeah. there's, a, there's an inherent value in the skill set. So it's trying to balance it all. Yeah, totally. I feel maybe it's just, maybe this comes from me trying to constantly have the attitude that if there's, anything wrong in my world it's my responsibility to make it right or just well, that's have, the, yeah that's the truth though isn't it and so th- that's probably what reverts me to that space sort of, of like yeah i'd feel this i yeah i'd feel the same way as an electrician that if i fix somebody's uh 
electrical problems for ten dollars. It was my fault that I did that. It's my fault mm-hmm. that I said yes to that or mm-hmm. something. But I just God, it's so easy for me to sit here and say that because I'm not like starving right now, right? So I, you know, I want to say that with a grain of salt of like, it's um, it, poverty in general is like incredibly complicated and terrible, and mm. um, and I have I have absolutely no ownership of the fact that I like can eat. I like I deserve zero of the glory for that. Um, the, the, I think this is why people are like like praise god or whatever the religion you know it's like because to me like it drives my brain to that point of like this is happening to me i didn't even do this like it's amazing that i get to eat a five dollar sandwich today instead of 20 cent vegetables but i that thing that you were saying a second ago of like uh dude if you you're a damn rock star if you can like uh keep your kids warm and sheltered and feed them and stuff like you are just playing the drums then you are fucking Bono. Like, um, <laughs> yeah. I, I, that's what I'm talking about, about, about feeling like I'm the richest person on the planet. That's the thing I'm talking about. It's yeah. like, dude, when I got this, they gave me 10 days to prepare for this gig, which is a lot compared to like past situations I've been in. And I went to, um, I went to Kroger. I'm trying to think of the equivalent out there in like Glasgow, what the convenience store would be called or the grocery store like, would be called. Yeah, like Tesco or something, you know. Oh, Tesco. That's what I was thinking of. Yeah. Um, so I, I went to our local Tesco equivalent here <laughs> and I bought, um, I was just going to hole up in my drum room for 10 days. So I bought like a bunch of calories and, and uh, bottles of water and stuff and said, like, I'm not going to leave my drum room for 10 days and I'm going to super get in shape. The gig I'm doing right now, it has almost like a metal thing going on. It's a very athletic gig and there's flame columns and stuff. You don't want to black out. You want to be like hydrated. You want to be in shape. Okay. So um, I was in here like trying to get in shape and like rise to the challenge. And um, I bought all this food and stuff. And on my way out, there was a table in the front of this Kroger and it was like apply now it's $9 an hour. And there were people crowded around the table getting applications and stuff. And I had like a meltdown in the parking lot because I, that is so much more honest and important work. These dudes in Kroger, like, you know, stocking the shelves and doing the cash registers and all that. It's like, that's so much more honest and important than the thing I was going to shut myself in the drum room and do. And they're going to have to do it for like a very long time to, Mm -hmm. To, to match what I'm sort of senselessly being given to work for 45 minutes a night. My tech puts my sticks in my hands at like eight Oh five. And then we go on at eight ten, and I act like a jackass for 45 minutes. And then we come off and like, that's all that's being asked of me right now. And I, I, my brain is having like a terrible time understanding that. Well, as um, you know, any decent therapist will tell you people need beauty as well as bread. So your, your, your work is no less honest. Because right because what it does is the people that are busting their gut to stack the shelves have come out and paid good money to see you. So yeah. it's, it's real important, the, the work you're doing, because they get a great night away from their shit and away yeah. from what's happening to them. And, um, you know, I, I, I spend a lot, I know a lot of guys in, in the UK that play in the theatre game. So they, they spend their night under the stage in a box where nobody sees them. There's no glory in what, you know, there's no mm. glory in what they do, but... Yeah. They get, they understand that the person that's paid £120 for the front row ticket needs the best show of their life. And it might be the 800th show they've played and they've played that same stab on that same tune at that same time every night. 
but they gotta they gotta own that because they know that that they've they've paid money for a babysitter, they've had to pay for parking, they've maybe taken their wife out for dinner as well. So there's like a whole there's a there's a whole thing around just two hours of their life, three hours of their life. They've maybe not done everything anything all day, but they gotta they gotta bring it. You know. I dig that, Chris. You're a you're a very mindful guy. I'm noticing that from this conversation. Well, I I, I spent a lot of time on it. Um, and I, you know, I work with the public a lot and you, you know, you, you see the importance of it, even in a store, man, we're, we're, you know, as much as it's commerce, we're still selling things that people create art with. And that's really important. You know, I, I had a young kid in recently who is just getting back into playing and he'd bought like a, a secondhand drum set and he was coming in for a head change and we took the head off and his shell was cracked and like, ah, he's going to play a gig and he's like, but the, the, the sort of um, the outcome of all was he had to buy a new snare drum because he couldn't use the drum he had but he's so stoked about getting something brand new to go out and play this gig with like in broadcast or whatever to no one on a Tuesday night or something and you start to see how much, how valuable that is to people because it gets mm. them away from the doldrums and it gets yeah. them away from feeling like shit because right there's a, a war happening and and you know what i mean and it's it's like it's, it's important stuff and i think we i think musicians especially heavy themselves quite a lot because they think oh, i'm just playing music but you're not just playing music you know because there's thousands of people there that are that are dying to see you you know dude well i will tell you that yeah i i that's a very centering thing for you to say and i i, I will say this without a doubt i um when I when I wake up the next morning after every show I do, I am in utter full body pain. Like Mike Tyson <laughs> beat my ass. I really do. I I cannot remember. There were times in my life where I, I was phoning it in on stage and I was resentful of what what I was spending my time doing. And I think that's back to the well. Then don't take the gig. Mm. But I can tell you that for a while now, I'm a couple of years into a phase here where I my like my neck. I kind of have a bang over right now. My neck like. Uh. It sort of hurts having this conversation with you even. And I've had two or three days off. I haven't played a show in two or three days. Uh, but uh, I am I am out there like giving 100% of the cells of my body to it. I am trying to offer honor the opportunity I've been given. There's no doubt about that. Listen, man, it's been a pleasure, a real, a real pleasure talking to you. I know that people will watch YouTube and they'll see the character, but there's just so much more, so much more depth there. And it's been really great to get to peel some of that away and talk drums and talk about Carter and all that. So I really appreciate you getting up early to come and do that, man. Thanks so much for coming on. This is the most worth it my alarm going off at the crack of 11 a.m. has ever been. Thank you, man. You're welcome. You're welcome. Thanks very much, man. And if you want to find out anything about Harry, just at Harry Marie anywhere on the internet, you will find it. Um, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, um, YouTube, it's all there. Some great content, some great videos, so check them out. Thanks for listening to this episode of Drummers Only Radio. You can find us online at www.drummersonly.co.uk. Drop us a line. We're on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, at Drummers Only UK. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast. We're on Apple, Spotify, and YouTube. Any questions, info at drummersonly.co.uk is the email, or if you need leads, it's leads at drummersonly.co.uk. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next time. Drummers Only.